for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. This is the Thanks. last week of our Advent series. Advent, as we discussed from the very beginning, kind of freaked me out. I didn't really know what it was. I had to study because I got into a conversation with someone at the church, and they asked about Advent. And the more I studied it, the more I realized it's it's not some heavy liturgical thing that's dry and all the stuff that I always thought maybe it was. It's an actual anticipation of the coming of Jesus. It's a it's a pursuit of the season. Amen. And so we've discussed Advent in the four or three of the subjects that Advent discusses. Those discussions that we've had previous to now are hope, peace, and joy. Today I want to talk about light as we light the Advent candle. Because in our hope, that is, we have a hope and an expectation of an eternal future brought to us by Jesus. That we have peace that is beyond comprehension and circumstance. And we should be people of joy because of who we are. Do you know why we have the ability to be those things and have those things? Because of the love of God poured out on us. That God proved his love to us. And so it's reasonable to end Advent on on the subject love. 1 John 4.10 says this, In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin, which I'll talk to you about in a little while. I want to read something to you that I read actually last week, but I think it's just equally as important this week. It's Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to start in verse 7 if you want to turn there. Justin read a little bit of it a moment ago. <clears throat> it says this, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and she wrapped him in cloths, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. In the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, <clears throat> which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This isn't part of my lesson, nor is it written in, but I think it's important. Let me stop here for a second. I need you to pay attention to the verbiage. There has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. I want to emphasize this statement because you can't have a Savior if you haven't first committed to a Lordship. Amen? Amen. Jesus didn't come to die to be your Savior. He came to die to be your Lord so that you might be saved. It's the reason why in the Bible it says we have to declare Jesus Christ as what? Lord. 
Believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we shall be saved. Many of us try to use Jesus as an, as an easy escapism to the future that we believe is true. That there is an eternal judgment out there. And we think that if we just make this simple confession of Jesus as Savior, we're good. That's not true. You have to have faith and believe and walk in obedience to his lordship. Amen? Amen. Like I said, that's a side note, but it's a good one. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. Man, that's a good passage. It tells us about this child born into nothing, surrounded by nothing, and given basically nothing, having given up everything so that we could be something. That's the Christmas story. But I've explained the Christmas story to you three times already over the last three weeks. I don't want to talk to you about the Christmas story today. I want to talk to you about the motivation for the Christmas story. The motivation for Christ coming to earth was love. Did you hear me? The motivation. What I'm about to tell you can truly change your life. I'm going to give you a very simple gospel message that declares the true love and the magnitude of the God that we serve. But the motivation behind Christmas, the motivation behind Jesus' ministry, the motivation behind Jesus' sacrifice, His crucifixion, His burial and resurrection, the, the plan that was from the foundations of the earth that all of those things should happen was because God determined to set His love on us. On you. On you. I say it all the time because it's very simple for us to have this congregational, yeah, okay, he loves us. He loves us congregationally, but he loves us individually. He loves you individually. You are not lesser than the person sitting next to you, but I'll tell you in regard to God, you're not greater than the person sitting next to you either. He loves all of us enough to give his son Jesus to die for us. Amen? Because he loves us. Here's the thing. Love is cliche these days. Man, we love everything. Y'all have heard it. Man, I love my new car. I just got a new truck for my birthday. And I've been guilty of saying, I love this truck. You know what else I love? I love German chocolate cake. Amen. I love pineapple upside down cake. I love banana pudding. I love macaroni and cheese with cut up hot dogs in it. That's the white trash, you mean? Just bear, just deal with me. But the fact of the matter is, I don't actually love any of those things. I like those things. Love has to be something greater than that. Love is an eternal 
perspective towards its subject. Here's the thing. Love as God loved us is the greatest of all things. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, we know the 1 Corinthians chapter 13 is the love chapter. If you didn't know that, it talks all about love and defines love and what it is and what it isn't. But at the very end of it, it says this incredible thing. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is what? And I tell you, that used to perplex me. It didn't make sense to me because I live for the hope of eternity. Like I drive towards my hope. I work towards my hope. I believe my hope is in Christ Jesus. Amen? So that seems like that's very important. The Bible says that without faith, I can't please God. And that in fact, it takes faith to be saved in the first place. So it seems like that one should be most important. But this seemingly intangible love, it says that that's the greatest. How's that possible and why? Let me tell you why. Because at some point in your future, you won't need your hope anymore. You'll be in the presence of that which you hoped for. You won't need faith anymore because what is the faith? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. There'll be a time that you're having, what you're having faith for, you will see. So faith won't be relevant, but the love of God is eternal and will be here forever, unlike faith and hope. That's why love is the greatest, and that's what God gave us when he sent us his son Jesus. The greatest thing he could give us was a demonstration of his love for us. It is a love that is forever conscious of us, it is sacrificial, and it is eternal. Let me explain. I'm going to read to you. I'm talking today not about the what happened, but the why. And I'm going to do it from the most familiar passages in your Bible. John 14 through 18. John 3, 14 through 18. I'm going to read it to you. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him, so whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. There's three points I want to make from this thing. And here's the first one. We have a need for God's love. This context, let me talk about context because context is everything. This context is from a conversation that Jesus is having with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a, a Pharisee, 
who had met Jesus supposedly in the middle of the night, probably so that he wouldn't be noticed or recognized, so that he wouldn't be ostracized as a believer. And he began to ask Jesus about who he was. And Jesus said, listen, you have to be born again. And the guy says, how am I supposed to be born again? That doesn't even make sense. He said, everyone must be born both of water and of the Spirit. Let me explain to you what that means. That doesn't mean baptism and then a second experience of the Spirit. That means when you were born, you were born through the flowing of water. That is natural birth. That is your birth. That's your first birth. But when you give your life to Christ Jesus, you were born of the Spirit. And so then you are born a second time. And so he says, you have to be born a second time. And then he tells this story. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, he's explaining, let me explain to you how you're born again. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of God be lifted up. For what whoever so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. And that doesn't make any sense. He's talking about serpents in the wilderness. Jesus talking about being born again. What's he referring to? He's referring to Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And let me read that to you. What he's doing is he's showing, did you guys know that in the Old Testament, there's, a, there's thousands of shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament? That is, there's shadows of things to come. Not the explicit nature of what's to come because my shadow can't tell you everything about me. It just indicates that I'm coming. My shadow will enter a room before I will. But it won't tell you what exactly I'll look like. It won't tell you how big my nose is, how crooked my teeth are, how big my Adam's apple is. It won't tell you any of those things. It'll just tell you I'm coming. Be prepared in what I'll do and what I'll, look, what, what, what I'll accomplish. And so he starts telling this story that was intended to be a shadow so that when Jesus showed up, others might recognize him. He says, then they set out from Mount Hor, that is the Israelites and Moses, by way of the Red Sea, to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water and we loathe this miserable food. How horrible are we that we have just been freed from Egypt? That we've not only been freed from Egypt, but we've been given all the gold and all the treasure we can carry that God has still provided for us. They have just departed from the Red Sea, which means they've just witnessed a miracle. And the first thing they do is complain and rebel against a mighty God. That's sinful and deserving of death. Amen? Amen. That's our condition. Doesn't matter. I give you a bag of gold. Most of us are going to complain about the color of the bag. It's ungrateful, it's unnecessary, and it's rebellion to God. And so God had something to say about that. The Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord and you. Intercede with the Lord. That means pray for us with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent. So apparently God heard the prayer. God answered the prayer. Make a fiery serpent and put it on a standard. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on the standard. And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Let me tell you, that's Jesus. Lift him up on a standard. That is, he was lifted up on a cross. And anybody who looks up to and calls upon the name of Jesus shall be saved. It doesn't matter the poison in your body, the poison you've been contaminated with, the sin that you've committed. Lift him up on that standard he's been lifted up on. Raise your eyes and confess the name of Jesus. You shall be saved a second time. Already by water, second now by birth. Amen? Amen. And so we have a need... Jesus was telling him, just like Moses and the people of Israel, you have a need to be born again because you've spoken and rebelled against God. You deserve judgment that's coming, but you're not going to get the judgment that you deserve. Instead, you're going to get grace. What? God always gives grace. Why? Because he's a loving, merciful, compassionate, long-suffering God. Ephesians 2.8, we receive salvation for by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is what? A gift of God. You were given grace. What's grace? Unmerited favor. That is the simple answer. And I don't mean that that's simple. That's who. That's everything. It's literally everything you've ever received from God is a grace, because you deserve to get nothing from God. Your breath, your strength, the ability to take care of yourself, your own life—all a grace from God. Your children, your grandchildren—all a grace from God. Your job a grace from God. Everything that you've been given, a grace from God. But he says this, it's for, it's by that unmerited favor that you've been saved through faith. That is by acknowledging him and that none of your, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And it has to be that way. You know why? Because all of us have sinned and none of us deserve grace. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's all of us. Let me read an additional text to you that might freak you out a little bit. It did me the first time I read it. In that same chapter, I quote 323 all the time, but in that same chapter in verse 10, it starts, It is written, there is none righteous. How many? None. Not even one. There is none who understands. How many? None. There is none who seeks after God. How many? All have turned aside. How many? And have become useless. There is none who does good. How many? There is not even one. How many? None. Not even one. Over and over and over again. You don't know to seek after Him. You haven't sought after Him. You deserve the death that you had coming. Because all have fallen all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, both by birth and by action. 
We were born into sin through the seed of Adam. We have committed sin by action from almost the very second we were conceived. Y'all, babies don't sin. Babies do sin. Manipulation is sin. Did you know that? I got two grandbabies. We had one last, we had, well, we had them both last night. He's figured out that if he cries long enough, somebody's going to pick him up. Or if he wants something bad enough, he'll, he'll throw a tantrum, somebody will get it for him. That's manipulation. Wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning because they're hungry. You're going to get up and feed them, not because you want to, but because they've learned how to manipulate you. That's sin. Just the same as if I manipulated you, that's sin. But praise God, we've been given grace. Come on, somebody. But all we have to do to receive that grace is call on the name of the Lord, according to Romans 10, 13. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But listen to me. It takes the work of God, provoked by the love of God, to save us. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. And I tell you, if you could, I'd have tried a long time ago. Well, that's not true. I tried a long time ago. I thought, man, if I just work a little harder, if I just serve a little harder, if I just give a little more, if I just do this, 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 and this, people are going to think I'm a good guy, and God ain't sending good people to hell. Let me tell you, God's sending good people to hell all the time. You know what he's not sending to hell? Righteous people. Every work done on our behalf was done by God, not us. Not because we deserved it, but because he loved us, including the birth of his son, Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Number two, God's love is proven in Jesus. God's love is proven in Jesus. We have a need for it, as we've just stated, as Jesus said to Nicodemus, but in verse 16, the most famous, most popular verse that we hear, we read this. You know what? I'm not going to read this. We're going to repeat it because it's so popular. Everybody in here knows it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Amen? Amen. Boy, that's good. That's good. That's good for four reasons. Let me explain it to you. It means that God's love is immeasurable. I'm going to break this text into four pieces. That means God's love is immeasurable. We can't know the immeasurable love of God. God's mind is finite or infinite. His love is infinite. His nature is infinite. Without end, without beginning. He was here in the beginning. He'll be here at the end. They'll, they'll, I don't think there'll ever be an end. But he is the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? He is infinite. What's that? What's that? What's the problem with that? In regard to our understanding the full weight of his love. We aren't. We're finite. And because we're finite, our minds can't possibly grasp the love that God has for us. It's that big. But look at this. For God so loved the world. 
For God so loved the world. You know what I hate about text? T-E-X-T. Whether it be in scripture or email or text message. You know what I hate about it? Can't read tone in it. I tell people all the time, I tell our leaders here at the church, don't email what ought to be ministry. People need to hear that you care about them. They need to hear your voice. They need to see your body posture. So that they'll know the true meaning of the message. I think that's important here as we say, for God so loved the world. I can't hear inflection. But what does so mean? It depends on the inflection. For God so loved the world. God loved the world is a why He gave. He so loved the world, so He gave. But it also may be a statement of magnitude if the inflection is right. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Either way, I think both are true. It is a why He gave and the magnitude by which He gave. It is immeasurable, incalculable, incalculable, incalculable. I think that's right. Unknowable. The point is, your hand, your mind, isn't big enough to grasp it. But Paul prayed that it would. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19, he says that being rooted and grounded in love, you know what that means? That you be unshaken in the love that you have. Because anything rooted and grounded isn't shakable, isn't movable, isn't getting torn out of the ground may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length, height, and depth to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. A couple things you need to pay attention to here. His love's immeasurable. He, this prayer here kind of freaks me out. That you may comprehend with all the saints Essentially, how big is the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge? I want you to know, but it surpasses your ability to know. Isn't that perplexing? Seems like there's a weird tension there, a paradox, if you will. There's not. What he's saying is, listen, you can't comprehend the immeasurable nature and love of God, but you should try. You should spend time in silence. One of the oft-overlooked disciplines of the Christian walk is silence and meditation. I don't know how we pray without silence. People say, I pray all the time. Well, how long do you sit in silence after you pray? Well, I don't. Then you don't pray. You make a bunch of requests, you throw problems at somebody, and then you walk away. Prayer is supposed to be a conversation. If I have a conversation with you, if I ask you a bunch of questions, if I ask you to help me solve a problem that I have, and then I leave before you give me the solution or how you're going to help me solve that problem, have we had a conversation? Or did I just rant at you and walk away? I've just ranted at you and walked away. You understand the importance of meditation if we are to know how big the love of God is? 
We can do better. Let's stop and slow this thing down. Meditate so that we might know the, le- the breadth, length, height, and depth of God. Job said it best when he asked two rhetorical questions in 11.7. He says, can you discover the depths of God? No, but I can try. And I should try. Can you discover the limits of the Almighty? No, but I can try, and I should try. His love is immeasurable. Let's do what we can to expound at least our own boundaries of it. God's love isn't only immeasurable, it's sacrificial. Second part of this verse says that he gave his only begotten son. How many times have you heard me say, or something very similar, that love requires action? I could tell you I love you all day long, but if I don't ever do anything to prove that love to you, if all I do is use you and abuse you, throw you away when I'm done with you, I don't love you. I've just created an opportunity for you to serve me or make me feel better about me. But the sacrificial love of God was provoked to action, was moved to action. And that action was to send Christ Jesus to us. I'm going to read the verse I read to you to start. 1 John 4.10, in this is love. That's a fancy way of saying, you want to know what love is? What's love got to do? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. Did you hear that? He loved us first and sent his son Jesus, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. That's a big word. What does that mean? That means he was the replacement, the atonement for us. Jesus Christ took our place on the cross of Calvary so that we wouldn't have to. He took the penal substitution for our sins. That means the the penalty for our sin. He took and replaced himself on the cross to absorb God's wrath so we wouldn't have to. Man, I don't know what the perfect wrath of God is, but I know if it's wrath and it comes from God, it's got to be perfect. And that freaks me out. I'm glad I don't have to, I didn't have to deal with that. Jesus dealt with it, so I wouldn't have to deal with it. As a free gift to me, received by grace through faith. That's love. Amen? Amen. He paid the debt we owed. He took the paycheck we worked for. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God, Jesus loves us. Jesus loves you. I wish I could bust your heads open with a hammer and pour it in and just make you believe it. But I can't. All I can do is declare the word over you because it's the word, the hearing of the word that builds your faith. Which is the reason people, I've, I've actually had people tell me, you use so many verses, it's hard to write them all down. Well, then learn to write faster because I'm trying to build your faith. I'm not a storyteller. I'm a declarer. Amen. 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 
Mm. The third part of this verse, God's love is obtainable. 16c. I've broken it into four pieces, A, B, C, and D. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish. God didn't make salvation difficult for us. He didn't make his love hard to achieve, which is incredible to me. Because he should have. What he did because he loves us and because love requires actionable service is that he made it very difficult on himself and that he sacrificed his own son, Christ Jesus, that we might have eternal life. Because he is love. He didn't require that we earn it. We can't. So how, if it's obtainable, do I obtain it? Simply. By grace alone and faith alone. God, I thank you that you've given me favor I don't deserve, that you've given me your son, Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you've placed breath in my lungs and given me a life that's valuable because it gets to proclaim who you are. And I walk in faith, believing, God, that you still hold me, that you desire to be in relationship with me. And then we declare out of Romans 10, 9, Jesus Christ is Lord, believing in our heart that God raised him from the dead. That's that easy believism we were talking about earlier. It's, it's, it's easy for me to say, it would be very simple for me to say, ah, Jesus is Lord. It doesn't say if you say Jesus is Lord, you'll be saved. It says, declare Jesus as Lord while believing in your heart, which that means you must have faith in that he was raised from the dead, which means that you won't see death either. That's a whole different thing other than flippant receiving. And then it says, and you shall be saved. That's how obtainable the love of God is. And then finally, God's love promises eternity. The last part of that verse says this, but have eternal life. They shall not perish, but have eternal life. When we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we know that we will live eternally with God. I'll tell you, and it's not to bemoan it, most of you already know, I suffer from three potentially catastrophic illnesses that could kill me, that I take medicine for. And I live with that every day. More importantly, Angela lives with that every day. Here's why that doesn't stop me from dreaming. That doesn't stop me from chasing. That doesn't stop me from preaching. That doesn't stop me from asking God for the next thing. Because at the end of it all, 
If I die tomorrow or 50 years from now, it doesn't matter. There's an eternity waiting for me. Guys, I want you to understand that God's love isn't just a beautiful thing. It should be a comforting thing. You're all, man, my life is upside down, sideways and crazy. It doesn't have to be. When you have faith that there is an eternity, 10,000 years from now, whatever you're dealing with isn't going to matter. The only thing that's going to matter is that you are forever and ever in the presence of love. For God is love. Amen? told you I want to make three points. The last one's really just a closer. There's a consequence of God's love. Verse 17 and 18 says, For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through Him. He who believes in Him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. I came out of my mama's womb judged already. But you know what? If you're still judged, you're in a jail cell locked from the inside. God has already given you the keys to unlock the cage you're in in Christ Jesus. I don't desire you be judged. Jesus Christ came so that you wouldn't be judged. So here's the question. What do you do with the information or the revelation that you've been given? Are you living according to the love that was poured out on you? Oh, I didn't say it like that in the other three services, but that hits harder. Because ain't none of us doing that. But are you standing righteously before a mighty king? Have you ever asked Jesus Christ to be your Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, accepted his grace by faith? Or if you have, have you ever allowed yourself to drift away? Perhaps you're not where you used to be and certainly not where you know you should be. Holy Spirit's been bothering you for a long time, been all up in your business convicting you, and you haven't responded. Today would be a good day. Today may be the only day. And so I ask, if there's anybody in this room who doesn't know Jesus or has allowed themselves to drift away and want to get right with the Lord because of the work of Christ Jesus and the love poured out. You're, you're one prayer away from perfect righteousness.